Flight 229, you're clear for takeoff. Just like a flight plan, you have to know where you're going and how you will get there when you plan for retirement. Let Ryan Fleming help you chart out a course for your retirement with his intimate knowledge of financial planning and the airline industry. It's time for the Pilot's Advisor. Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Pilot's Advisor. And we are recording today from my new location in Lake Lanier, Georgia, which is just a little bit northeast of Atlanta. I'll be living here for 10 months while my wife is doing an internship uh, with uh, Georgia Power for the U.S. Air Force. Uh, Should be a good opportunity for her. And I get to look at water out my back door, which is great. And of course, on the show, we have from Sandusky, Ohio, on the water of Lake Erie, Lee Hyder. Lee, how are you doing today? Good morning. I didn't realize I was on your podcast. I thought I was on hold for customer service with Amazon for the past 15 minutes. And I believe that, that you would be confused trying to figure out who you're talking to and where you are. Boy, you know what? I'll I'll bet I'm not the only person who's been kind of having a really serious relationship with uh, Amazon and their UPS drivers every day. It's just crazy how I find myself just buying stupid, inexpensive things a couple times a week that I don't even need. The first thing I'm going to say with that, Lee, is I'm truly offended, me being a FedEx pilot, that you bring up Amazon and UPS first. I feel like you just kicked me. But yes, there is much more people buying online stuff and it's becoming more and more a part of our lives. You know, which which brings up a good question. How come it seems like uh, Amazon has a contract with UPS and not Federal Express? Because all of my stuff always comes by UPS. So uh, this is actually a very interesting question. I'm sure many of my listeners that are FedEx pilots know this very intimately. Um, But just to give you a little bit, bit of background, FedEx and UPS used to fly a bunch of Amazon stuff around and Mm -hmm. FedEx made a strategic decision about, I think it's been about a year and a half ago now. I want to say it was maybe January of 2019 and they made the decision to stop flying Amazon stuff around. And for a couple of reasons, number one, the the margin and profitability on hauling their stuff, we, we didn't make a lot of profit off of those. The margins were a lot lower but it was taking up a lot of space on the airplanes. And then also we saw uh, Amazon is starting to be a little bit of a competitor, you know, like long-term. We definitely have different business models, but of course, as you can see, Amazon has been growing quite significantly. So So I guess guess we're going to file this under news you'll never need to use, huh? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, there's others that definitely have an interest in this for sure. And I think it was a a great uh, business decision. It was kind of one of those deals, short-term pain for long-term gain. Um, Yeah. Where right now, you know, UPS, I I don't know what the percentage is, but a very, very significant percentage of their business is actually Amazon now. And at some point, Amazon's going to continue to grow their airline and and fly their own stuff. And and UPS is going to have to figure out how to, you know, rebuild that, that, that portion of their business. Yeah, very, very dangerous business model. And speaking about dangerous, as I'm looking outside my sliding glass door windows on the shores of Lake Erie, it actually looks like October. I mean, we have gray, gray skies. The winds are blowing at about 20 miles an hour, and I can see nothing but white caps. So this is certainly not a beach or boating day here in Sandusky, Ohio. So I guess instead of going boating and beaching, I'll spend a little bit of time with you and maybe some of your listeners. 
Well, we appreciate that, Lee. You're starting to become a regular on the show, and uh, that's because uh, you're willing to, you know, be on the show. But also, I think that uh, you bring some interesting conversation, some interesting insight, and I need to get some feedback from my listeners. So I'm asking everybody that does listen to the podcast: Should we can Lee, or should we keep him on the show? I, I vote for canning me, especially based <laughs> upon especially based upon what you're paying me. I, I think I need unemployment with that extra six hundred dollar boost we may be getting soon. <laughs> yeah, it'd be much more profitable, right? Oh, for sure, absolutely. Can't be any less profitable. How do you see that? Like right now, you know, we're sitting here talking about them in, not increasing, but I guess continuing these uh, government kickbacks or not kickbacks, but you know. Yeah, I'm paying business owners the money to do nothing. I think it's a double-edged sword. I mean, you know, everybody is a, uh, you know, 2020 quarterback after the fact. And I think in the very beginning of this, uh, I certainly applaud the fact that the government felt they needed to act quickly and just get money in people's hands because it was very scary. We were at a place that we've never been before. And uh, obviously, uh, months later, we still remain there. So I think the first thing was I I applaud the fact that they came up with the concept to just put as much money in people's hands as possible. Then after it happened, people started doing the math and we realized, you know, we created a disincentive for people to come back to work because many people were actually receiving more money sitting home than they were going back to work. Now, I think as we kind of look at the math, we have a challenge, you know, how do we kind of, you know, walk that tightrope of number one, helping people that clearly need help but also not incentivizing them to stay home. So I certainly think the government just has to do something. But again, it's a little bit above my pay grade to kind of, you know, pretend I have a good crystal ball or a good answer for this. Yeah. And I think this for me comes back to the whole tough love thing. I mean, what you're talking about has become a major issue for these business owners because now, you know, whether it's restaurants or just like, you know, small uh, mom and pop type shops, they can't get any of their employees to come back to work because they're getting paid more to stay at home, which further kicks the can down the street for those businesses and or those businesses are going to fail. So what I look at it is the unintended consequences of some of the decisions we've made. I agree with you that the government did need to step in and do something initially. But I think we're at a point now where we're looking at our new reality and we need to make some tough decisions because despite what many people think out there, none of this is free. It is going to have to come back from taxpayer revenue and we are getting more and more and more in debt um, and it's going to become unsustainable. And, and, I, and I think the, the big problem here, you know, from 10,000 feet looking at it, is the final chapter has really not been written yet. I mean, you know, on one side of the coin, people have a sense that things have kind of gone back to normal to a degree. You're no longer a prisoner in your house. Many of us can go to a restaurant or a bar. There are certainly limitations. But I think in the final analysis, as we approach the school year and the next topic of conversation on the news today is, should we or should we not send the kids back to school? I, I think the big issue ultimately is going to have to be addressed of, did we overreact? We certainly know that people are going to get infected by the millions. We know people are going to die. But in the end, did we overreact and really cause this catastrophic financial loss for America, for businesses and many families as well? Well, and you know, we all have our different uh, feelings about this. I, I definitely think it's been a, a massive overreaction. Um, I think that it's very politically driven now. Um, I actually saw a meme and it was saying that, you know, these, this doctor and this other individual is sitting here discussing the, the coronavirus and 
he was asked, doctor, you know, how long is this going to last? And the doctor looked at him and said, well, I don't know. I'm not a politician. <laughs> well, you know, unfortunately here at the Fleming Financial Group and me being the pilot's advisor, um, I believe in capitalism. I believe that people need to work. I believe that there has to be an incentive to go to work, which means not giving away stuff for free. Because, you know, if, if everybody got stuff for free, I mean, we could all just sit around and, and play video games and, and eat bonbons, but that doesn't drive an economy. And, no, no, sure. and, hey, and I, go ahead. No, I was going to say, speaking about being a pilot, I'm always intrigued. You know, I, I always come back to you flying and where you're going. Where, where are you going next? I actually don't have anything on the books right now. I'm going to do some reoccurring, uh, recurrent training in uh, Memphis uh, next week. Uh, my wife has actually been TDY for a couple of weeks. She's doing some work in DC. So I've been uh, getting to relax and enjoy my home office with my children for a while, which has been very nice. But things on the road are very, very crazy right now. That's for sure. Have you ever wanted to learn more about the academic approach to investing and saving and planning for retirement that Ryan talks about here on The Pilot's Advisor? Well, if so, go visit pilotsadvisor.com, pilotsadvisor.com. You can watch a quick webinar on the academic approach to investing. It'll show you how not to speculate and gamble with your money. It's all based on Nobel Prize winning research. Only takes about 10 minutes to get through the video and watch it. Going to be worth your time, I promise you. Go check it out right now, pilotsadvisor.com. It's a webinar that covers that academic approach to investing, pilotsadvisor.com. All right, back to the show. Hey, you know, again, I'm probably not the only person who you're communicating with that is over 60. So I've got to bring you back when you said your wife is TDY. What does TDY mean? I knew you'd, I knew you'd ask that. Actually, TDY is a military term that, uh, and for those listeners out there that don't know this, uh, my wife is still active duty Air Force. She's a C-17 pilot, graduated squadron commander, and uh, she's doing a temporary duty, uh, which is TDY, um, mm-hmm. in Washington, D.C. to prepare for this fellowship that she's going to have for the next year. Hey, if your wife was on this uh, call with us and I asked her what I'm about to ask you, how would she answer this question? Which one of you are really a better pilot? Oh, she knows the answer to that for sure. It, which is? I hope she's not listening. Uh, that I'm a better pilot, of course. Okay. And, and, she, and she would probably agree or disagree with that? Well, the funny part is I've actually, like, for the Air Force, uh, by regulation, will not allow us to fly together. So I've never really gotten to fly with her, however many of my peers and friends from school have. And supposedly, she's a really great pilot. I mean, she was, you know, one of the first females to go all the, all the way through the special ops program in the C-17. You know, she's done very, very well in the Air Force. Now, I have a lot more flying hours than her and probably more, you know, commercial experience for sure. So, you know, we've we've toyed back and forth with each other on that question, but uh, (laughs) hopefully she's not listening. But of course, I'm the better pilot. I'll I'll text her and tell her about this conversation. How how many hours do you actually have? Godly, I don't even know now. I'd have to look it up. I definitely am still under 10,000 hours for sure. But I'd have to look it up. But I've on the triple seven, you definitely get a lot more hours because you're flying all international. I mean, every time you fly, do you list you know ten hours where you went? I mean, is that kind of the logbook you have to keep? Well, once you get your major airline job, like at a legacy carrier, like you know, you're probably tracking your hours. If you're flying at a regional or flying in the military, you're trying to build your resume mm-hmm. so that at some point you could get that big job. Right. Well, 
once you get that lifestyle job that you're probably going you're hoping you're going to work at for the rest of your career, you actually stop keeping track of your hours. Now the company keeps track of all my hours. So I'd have to go back and do some research, find out how many hours I've flown at the company, add that to, you know, my resume from before and come up with an answer for you. But as of right now, I really don't know. Hey, one other kind of flying question, and then we can kind of get down to business. I'm always intrigued. Um, You know, I hear so many of my friends from time to time post a picture on Facebook. You know, they're now taking their private pilot's license. And, you know, it just seems so easy that these people, all of a sudden, they tell me they're taking their license uh, program. Then three months later, they're actually flying by themselves. What's your opinion about, you know, the average Joe lunch bucket, you know, learning how to fly and just, you know, hopping in a plane, you know, to go from point A to point B? Do you think there's too much of that today? Well, I think that, you know, going and getting some experience flying an airplane is great for people in the sense of it is unlike anything else you've ever done in your life. It's not like riding a bike. It's not like, you know, driving a car. And the only way for you to truly experience that is to go, you know, fly a Cessna 172 or whatever it might be around and kind of see. I think one of the first things people are going to see is how difficult it is. It's one of those things that gets easier and easier as, as you've done it over time and developed a lot more experience and stuff called like a cross check, which is basically you staying on altitude, on airspeed, on heading. Now, when I think about, let's say, dentists or doctors or what have you, lawyers, some individuals that have more money than they know what to do with, and then they go get themselves a private airplane, finally get their private pilot's license. I think there's such a wide variety of those individuals because sadly, there's so many people that die from general aviation accidents every single year. Mm-hmm. and it, I mean, it takes a lot of maintenance on your airplane. It takes a lot of uh, currency to make sure that, you know, your skills are honed. Um, right. Also avoiding weather. I mean, there's a lot of factors. And so, you know, it's kind of an open-ended question you asked there. But uh, I think you just definitely go experience flying, but also understand your experience level. All right. Let, let's transition into money and, and experience and hours and all of this. You're a seasoned uh, veteran financial coach and advisor. You've got clients literally from all over the United States. You've been doing this for years. We're kind of, uh, as you kind of equate this to a uh, checklist on our flight plan, where we're going financially, we've kind of hit some turbulence right now. Would you be uh, requesting an emergency landing and get out, jump out of the plane, or really, you know, what's your general advice for listeners today? you know, that maybe never have experienced this kind of fear relating to portfolio, what would you recommend people kind of do now? Well, Lee, I think this is why we have a job. I mean, being a financial coach, it's all about people remaining calm, first of all. You know, yes, we're experiencing some turbulence right now, but we have a, we have a checklist that we need to go through to make sure that we can land the plane safely so that we can land in retirement safely. And, you know, so much of that is staying the course with your plan that you had before. I mean, people want to panic and do stuff that was never in the plan, jump out the window, you know, what we call in the flying community is roll and pull, meaning like roll inverted and pull right into the ground and kill yourself. So, but no, we have to stay calm. We have to, to ride the storm out and let our portfolio that has been built for this do its thing. Well, let me ask you a question. Let's assume you got a phone call today and it was one of your clients that you've worked with for 10 years. Uh, they're approaching retirement within the next 12 months and, you know, maybe they don't have a pension and their 401k and other things that you're managing, you know, has seen a significant amount of downward volatility. And, and they ask you, Ryan, should I get out of the market now or should I just 
maybe go to a more conservative portfolio or, or maybe I should just, I mean, what, what would you advise somebody who really has genuine fear? Well, and I think there's a lot of ways to look at this because there's many issues involved in that. First of all, it's great that they are not retiring right now while the market has been down because, you know, once you start pulling from that portfolio and say you retired right before the coronavirus, you'd be in a much different shape than riding out this storm. And we're almost on the other side of the storm. I don't know what, how long this coronavirus stuff's going to continue on, but we've, we've actually recovered quite a bit of what was lost back in March. Um, I don't know what your numbers are and we've discussed that, but you know, if you stayed the course and you didn't panic, you know, a lot of your portfolios come back. Right. Also, another question that I'd bring up is, is what, you know, what is that, that individual's uh, risk tolerance? We want to make sure that they're invested at their uh, risk tolerance that's appropriate for them. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, and how about if your client comes to you and says, you know, look, I'm looking at my statements and it really seems like my international holdings, you know, is really down significantly more than the U.S. domestic positions. Maybe we ought to sell all of our international and throw that money into maybe the S&P. You know, what would you say to that client? Well, have you ever been asked that question before, Lee? I have, and I, I know you have a much better answer for me and your listeners. That's why I gave you such an easy question. So what we do, you know, we, we look at things from an academic perspective, and we can't make short-term emotional decisions uh, off of what's going on in this one or two-year period. We invest academically for the long term, and historically, international returns have outpaced U.S. returns. Now, you can look at different time periods and make an argument either way, but over the long term, that is the case. But it's not just that, Lee. It's about being truly globally diversified. You don't want all your money in U.S. stocks, even if they are performing that much better right now, because you want to be diversified, because U.S. stock market might you know, decrease for the next 10 years where international might have a great 10-year period coming up. And there's no way to predict that, but we don't want all our eggs in one basket. So, so what you're really saying is you want to have a plan going forward. And even though something may change in the interim, you want to stick to that plan. You have to have a plan. You have to have a financial outlook and, and feeling about how you see investing and stick to that plan. Because if you're not sticking to that plan, kind of like we talk about with the diet, if you're not sticking to the, the, the diet and the plan, you're not going to lose that weight. Well, hey there. We hope you're enjoying listening to The Pilot's Advisor today. Just wanted to take a quick moment from the show to remind you that if you have any questions ever about what Ryan talks about on the program, need any assistance with your financial planning, need some guidance to get to and through retirement, or whatever financial questions might be on your mind, don't ever hesitate to reach out. The simple way to get in touch with Ryan is to pick up the phone and call or text 843-475-3038. Again, that's 843-475-3038. You can also find Ryan online at FlemingFG.com. That's FlemingFG.com. And as always, we put contact information to get in touch with Ryan in the description or the show notes section of the program. So just check it out on whatever app you're using, and it's easy to get in touch with Ryan. All right, now back to the show. When you refer to a plan, are you talking about what specific holdings I should have? Or are you talking more about a philosophy that I want to have guide me through this process? Well, a philosophy starts from the very top and then you build down from there. And at the very bottom of that, I think is where you get to your actual portfolio and the different asset classes you hold. But 
an investment philosophy, kind of like an investment philosophy statement is from the very top, do you believe the market's predictable? Or do no, you think that the market is totally random? Because you got to decide that from the very top. Are you, do you want to work with an advisor that says, hey, trust me, I can take all your assets and I can predict the future. I can predict and stock pick which ones are going to outperform the market, which by the numbers has shown that advisors can't do. So, or do you believe that the, mo the market is totally random and you want to take an academic approach to investing? Quite often when a client comes in my office and I ask them a very simple question, you know, do you believe the market is predictable or do you believe the market is random? I mean, everybody will always tell me that they believe the market is fairly random. But interestingly enough, when I do an analysis of their portfolio, we find that they're not embracing diversification, that the way they have allocated their investments is as if they believe the market is predictable because most have very little, if any, in international positions. Most of what they have invested in the U.S. is in large cap S&P positions, very, very little in small companies, small value companies, micro companies. So it's very interesting that quite often what people say is very different than what they're actually doing. And sadly enough, many of them don't even know that. They don't even realize the way their portfolio is invested is not embracing diversification as they really said to me they really thought they should be investing. There's nothing I hate more than somebody that says they're going to do something and then they don't do it. And but, I think, but, but I think in fairness to them, it, it's not that you know, they don't want to do it. It's sadly they think they are doing it, but they've never really had what I would call a, you know, a second opinion, you know, getting a checkup from the neck up you know, concerning their portfolio. Well, and no, that's why, no, I'm sorry. Well, and I was going to say, that's why it's so important. Our job is when we actually sit down with a client, I know you do this as well, where we actually teach them and show them the numbers from the front end so we can actually take their portfolio and break it apart and show them how, what exposures they have to different asset classes and ask them the questions, why are you doing this or why are you doing that? And maybe showing them a, little, a better way. No, you know, you know, very interesting. You know, I will say to somebody who may come into my office and they are singing the praise of their financial advisor and, and how they feel they're doing in their portfolio, I will ask them point blank, do you have enough confidence in what you're doing to actually get a second opinion and let somebody else actually look over your shoulder? And quite often, these people are very, very surprised in the fees they're paying, the lack of diversification you know, how much they've allocated to the U.S. versus international position. So, you know, again, I challenge all your listeners, do they have enough courage in what they're doing, if they're not a client of yours, to really get a second opinion? Well, Lee, we both analyze portfolios. We do something called a portfolio MRI, where we actually dig into a, a prospect's portfolio and kind of teach them and show them what they're actually doing. And my experience, and I'm talking, I, I've done thousands of these but I see the same thing over and over again, and that is having way too much exposure to U.S. large cap stock and not being really very diversified. What has what your experience been? God, it's like a mirror. I, I would agree with you. Uh, again, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll sound like a broken record, but I'll ask them, you know, do you think it makes sense to be globally diversified or do you think it makes more sense to have all your money in the U.S.? And everybody says, no, 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 no. Of course you need money, you know, outside of the U.S. and in foreign markets. But it just blows me away how little money they really have overseas, as if there are no other markets than the U.S. market. It's very sad. Yeah, and there's been some debates recently about what's going on in the marketplace globally. And, you know, a lot of people think that the uh, 
international markets are not going to come back for a long while. And interestingly enough, since we shut down the uh, consulate in, um, you know, the, the Chinese consulate in Houston, they're predicting that the, the Chinese market's going to, that's going to be a lot more detrimental to us than the Chinese markets. But also, even if the international marketplace was not going to recover for a while, what's actually happening is an opportunity to buy much of those having a lot of international exposure at a, a very decreased price. And you know, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say it goes back to what you said earlier. You really need at the very beginning of philosophy. Do you believe the market is random or do you believe the market's predictable? Because that simple decision, as simple as it sounds, will ultimately guide how your portfolio is built. Somebody who believes the market is predictable doesn't need diversification. They just need to know what's going to be the winning stock or the winning sector. The person on the other side who believes that markets are random is going to embrace not only domestic diversification, but is going to embrace diversification around the world as well. So again, for your listeners, I think the first thing they need to be thinking about is not about what's a good stock or a good fund to buy, what stock or bond has done well over the past three to six months or the past year. They need to really ask themselves a simple but critical question. Do you believe the market is predictable or do you believe the market is random? That sets you on the path to building a much healthier long-term portfolio. Well, I absolutely agree. And since you're the, the king of uh, analogies, one of the things I like to think about is from a baseball perspective. You know, if you have an advisor out there that's trying to stock pick and predict the market, you kind of have your home run hitter out there. Versus what we do, which would be a much more long-term approach, academic approach, is kind of more like a, a leadoff hitter. So- Sure. For, for us to put this in perspective, you know, if you're stock picking out there, you're kind of like that number four, number five hitter that's that's gunning for the fences, and you're either going to strike out or hit a home run. And and the far percentage is even the best home run hitters out there are that you're going to strike out more times than you actually get a hit. Versus being that leadoff hitter or that number two hitter that gets on base a lot more, hitting doubles, singles, you know, and they're just constantly moving forward. And sadly. When you're building an investment portfolio and you're looking at trying to get, you know, land safely in retirement, you can't afford all those strikeouts because it, they're unrecoverable sometimes. Right. You know, I, I think a good metaphor would be, you know, somebody who happens to be in Las Vegas and they went there for three or four days, you know, with their spouse for just, just a little bit of fun. You know, you can ask them, you know, throughout their two to three day period how they're doing. And it always seems like, you know, they're up, they're up, they're up but you see that same person at the airport, now their justification is, well, I, I lost about the amount of money that I thought I would over this three or four day period. You know, so it's easy to make money you know, in the short term. But again, as an investor, you're not gonna be measured by your success, how you did last week or last month. You're gonna be basically measured as it relates to your retirement, the quality of your portfolio long-term to give you the income that you're going to need, hopefully for a long, healthy retirement. Which is why it's so important to focus on the long-term and make decisions that are going to help you on the long-term. I actually had a client recently, and I want to know how you'd handle this, Lee. I had a client recently was you know, out there and doing some stock picking and buying some stocks here on the side and was telling me how he was up throughout this whole coronavirus pandemic. How would you handle that? Well, again, you know, that's fine. You know, he's up over the past two or three months. I think, you know, the final chapter of his success has not been written yet until down the road. So as I've said before, you know, anybody can get lucky. 
You know, and, and we all have friends and maybe even ourselves. from time to time, we got a hunch or something and we kind of threw a little bit of money at something and we made money. But there's a big difference between luck and academic long-term research. You know, I'm not going to bank my retirement on, on a lucky hunch. I'm going to use good academics all the time. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I've noticed that, that pilots, especially all they want to talk about is that stock pick or that stock that they they uh, bought and they made money off of, but they don't want to talk about all the other times that they picked a stock that was a dud and they lost all kinds of money. And we tend to focus or think about those good ones versus the bad ones. And you got to add all that up when you look at your overall stock picking return portfolio. You know, it's what I call fuzzy math. You know, everybody knows how much money they made, but they just can't really figure out long-term how much money they've lost by playing these long hunches. Exactly. Lee, I appreciate you being on the show today. Uh, Next show, I want to talk a little bit about longevity risk. Um, So I'll let you uh, study up on that. And uh, once again, if any of the listeners out there would like a uh, portfolio MRI, would like us to analyze your portfolio and or would like to uh, give us a suggestion on our future show, uh, please reach out to us and Walter will uh, give you all the information. Thank you guys very much. Have a good one. You've been listening to The Pilot's Advisor, featuring Ryan Fleming, a financial advisor at Fleming Financial Group, serving clients worldwide, but based out of Charleston, South Carolina. If you have any questions for Ryan on what we've talked about on today's show, maybe a future topic idea, or want to talk more about getting a complimentary review of your financial plan, here's the best ways to get in touch. You can go online to the website, FlemingFG.com. That's FlemingFG.com. You can also email Ryan. It's simply ryan at flemingfg.com. Or you can call or text to get in touch. 843-475-3038 is the number. That's 843-475-3038. Thanks for listening to The Pilot's Advisor. And don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcasting apps. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and many more locations. So whatever app you like to use, search for The Pilot's Advisor Podcast today and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.